William Collier, and this is Ground, a podcast from The Cathedral Project, where we will be diving into the stories of deconstructed Christians and reimagining our spirituality from a post-Christian point of view. Cathedrals are those lasting reminders of the beauty of our faith tradition. They are the result of collaborative effort of genius in the arts. And the reason we choose this image for our collective is to evoke that image inside ourselves as we preserve those things from our faith history that are truly worth preserving. Just because we're evolving in our worldviews doesn't mean that we have to leave those beloved treasures of our faith behind, especially not the pearl beyond price, Christ consciousness alive in all beings and illuminating and enlightening all of us. If you found this podcast and you're listening to my voice right now, you're probably one of us, one of the the people who can't do church anymore as they've always done it and are wondering if they're even Christians anymore because life just looks so much different for us on the other side of church. And we do need something to fill the void that's left when we exit that culture. The mission of the Cathedral Project is to help the deconstructed Christian pursue emotional and spiritual health through meditation, art, and community. So where the rubber really meets the road for that mission is things just like this, the ground podcast, also our ground in-person meetings and gatherings. Uh, There's an online community. There's all kinds of ways to get plugged in and hopefully begin to fill that void that we were talking about that's left when we've exited the church. You know, it's just not good to feel alone. And you're not alone. There are so many stories like yours, like what you've been through, and that's what this podcast is all about. So I'm going to kick things off by telling you my story, telling you where I've been and what led me to the point that I'm at right now, why I decided to start the Cathedral Project, and I'm sure a lot of it is going to be familiar to a lot of you. So in full transparency and emotional nudity, I'm going to share with you the story of my deconstruction. So as hard as I try to hide it sometimes, you can probably detect a little bit of a southern accent. That's because I was born and raised in Georgia. That's home, and it's beautiful. You know, all four seasons, it gets hot as hell in the summer, and it gets bone-chilling freezing in the winters. If you're from the north and you think it's adorable that I think it gets cold down here, try humidity in the cold, and then you'll understand why it's a little bit different. I was born in... Floyd County in a little city called Rome um, and lived the majority of my life in country towns leading in toward Atlanta. And it probably won't come as a shock that my culture and upbringing was more of the fundamental Christian bent. That's just the culture that we had around us. That's what I grew up with. I had a great childhood, very loving parents. Um, I remember all those Southern hymns, they're just, they're buried in my brain. Victory in Jesus. (laughs) Swing low, sweet chariot. Beautiful stuff, really. Actually, I have some very fond memories of that. Um, Around the time I was 10 or 11, I was given the choice for Christmas between a go-kart and a guitar, and I chose the guitar. I loved it. I learned so much so fast, spent hours every day practicing 
also around this time, uh, my mother was homeschooling me and uh, led me to Jesus at the kitchen table. You know, after I'd learned about the filthy rags that I was and how myself was just horribly sinful and destined for damnation, unless I prayed a prayer to Jesus where I asked his forgiveness so that God would see him instead of me when he looked my way. Around the time that I was 13 or 14, a big church planted um, locally near us, a non-denominational church. You know, we'd been a part of Baptist church and all, all sorts of more, I guess, well-established denominations across the South. Um, and when this church came into town, it was a breath of fresh air. A lot of people were, were ready to kind of let go of the legalism that came along with um, those denominations that they were more familiar with uh, to kind of get in on this new style, right? This was around the wave of the new mega church thing that was going on. I guess this would have been 1997, somewhere in that range. Um, anyway, so I'm this little kid with a bowl cut holding my guitar and, um, the worship pastor there took a shine to me. <laughs> That's a countryism for you. Took a shine. And he, he brought me up on the stage and asked me if I'd like to play guitar with them. Now I was not even turned up in the PA system. I was just a fixture, but what that worship pastor was doing for me, I'll never, I'll never forget it. He was helping me and crafting me into a, a better musician. And that's what I wanted to be. Um, there was a, a, a jazz piano player that was kind of leading the band, and he was very advanced uh, in his musical theory and, and, and really helped to teach me a, a ton about, about how to just relate to music. It was an invaluable part of my life. Um, and that's something the church gave me that um, I'll never forget. It's, it's made me into who I am today. And, you know, we all remember this phase of life. It's, it's a tender time. It's weird. We have brand new hormones, brand new feelings. We have parents giving us weird talks about where babies come from, if we even have parents who are willing to talk to us about stuff like that. Um, so in the middle of this awkward phase, I enter into the church youth group. Now, I'm going to issue a spoiler about youth groups across America. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the real agenda is. Are you ready? That youth group and that youth pastor is just trying to keep your kid from having sex, man. That's what they're doing. And <laughs> I mean, that's not the only goal they have, but it's, it's let's be honest, it's, a, it's an agenda. It's a big part of things. So that's where I was first introduced to purity culture. Purity culture as we know it, right? That's, that's a buzzword. That's a big one. A lot of us have dealt with that. A lot of us have dealt with some real trauma from that. If you're not familiar with what purity culture means, or if you've heard the term thrown around, but you're just kind of not exactly sure about that definition. Basically, it's just the overarching sort of doctrine of sexuality that the church has been preaching for a really long time. But as of late, it's kind of come to light what kind of a shame narrative has been attached to that for people and how negatively that's affected their lives. If you're ashamed of something your body is naturally doing, you know, giving you natural desires, uh, new hormones raging through your body, changes coming over your body. Um, the very nature of you, the, the, the animal human nature of you is being called into question. It makes you feel like you can't trust your body. It makes you feel like the flesh being wretched and sinful is a literal truth. Um, and the reality is that that narrative is psychologically damaging, and um, it's just 
what I had put on me. Uh, those desires are not talked about in a positive light nearly often enough. Um, and I want to be fair, there are definitely some newer messages coming out of the church that have more of a positive spin on sexuality, but always with the goal in mind of containing that to marriage. And let's not even get started on marriage. You know, I got a whole lot to say about that, but we're not even going to go there right now. Uh, I would just will say that as you guys can tell by how much time I've spent talking about this, it obviously did a number on me. You know, I can remember the feelings I had. And while I feel like I've wiped most of that residue off of me in my life, it's painful to remember this. And I'm sure that residue is still on a lot of you too. And and that's something that we're definitely going to cover and delve into in future episodes of this podcast. Uh, but for the sake of time right now, let's just get on with the story here. So remembering all this, it's not all bad, right? I, I, I was playing my guitar with the band and practicing and getting better. And I started to get really good. I started to actually show real promise. I was now writing arrangements for the band and I was now leading the rehearsals and I was now being paid as a salaried staff member. A lot of things started to happen really fast. Like I was taken under the wing of a high school senior when I was like 15 years old. Uh, who was a promising pastor-to-be kind of person. Uh, I was escorted into a private meeting at Liberty University with some scouts uh, to become this worship personality. And I can just see how a lot of conditioning, or as you've probably heard it called, discipleship, <laughs> was happening to me. Um, and when you couple that with the ideologies and the doctrines that I was being taught, feeling constantly at war with myself, feeling like my own nature was something that I needed to be ashamed of, that I needed to fight against, the overall effect of that was just I started to feel like I was being formed into a certain kind of person by the people around me for their own benefit. And, you know, I started to feel very stuck. The The scripture that narrow is the path and few are they who find it, that that uh, that felt real because it felt like I was being pushed onto that path and that any of the options that I saw around me that I might want to pursue, I can't because I need to be afraid of those things because they could destroy me or because those things aren't best for me because the people around me know what is best for me and they know what kind of life path I need to walk down and they know the Bible better than me. And if I would just trust in the legacy put forth for me by all these scholars and stuff, then man, the trail's just going to rise to meet my feet and it's going to be a lamp to my path and I'll understand the Bible like they do and I'll finally live the way that I'm supposed to. Well, the ultimate challenge to all of this conditioning arose in my life in the form of a beautiful girl um, who I fell in love with really fast. Um, this was around my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, I met her on a church ski trip. We started to date immediately after she got back from a mission trip to Jamaica. And it was on, man. And the reason I say that <laughs> the, she's the ultimate challenge to all that conditioning <laughs> for me, uh, or rather our relationship was, is because we started having sex. And man, did it feel great. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We need to be smart. We need to be educated and we need to be wise about how we go about it. But I refuse to look back on that part of my life and on that, that those really sweet moments I shared with this girl as negative. They were, they were 
wonderful. And she's now my wife and has been so for 20 years. So we made it against all odds. Imagine that. Her name is Natalie, and she is helping women discover their true selves right now, and I couldn't be a bigger fan of hers. Now, I don't feel any guilt about those experiences now, but at the time, I was racked with guilt. Um, I felt like I was in sin, and yet at the same time, I really struggled with it because I thought, what difference does it make if I get a piece of paper that's committing myself to this woman? If I, if I know I love her and if I know I'm never going to leave her, why do I need to make a covenant before man saying that that's the case? Uh, you know, so there were a lot of thoughts I had there. But I still felt a lot of pressure. I was getting counseling. I was being asked very, very personal and pointed questions. I remember one time being asked just in a very profane and vulgar way what I had done with my girlfriend. And it felt like a real violation of my privacy, <laughs> of my personal life. But it definitely worked and coerced me into doing the only thing I felt like I could do, which was asking this girl to marry me. And I was only 19 years old. Now, I suspect that my story is not unique this way. I'm sure there are plenty of other people who felt like they had no other option. And because of this doctrine felt like they had to go ahead and seal the deal and get married lest they burn with passion, right? Not to awaken love before it so desires. That's, that's the scripture that gets referenced often for that. And if none of that's making sense to you right now, or if it's just not congealing for you, let me share with you the trump card of purity culture, theology, doctrine, whatever you want to call it. It's taught to us that the moment that a person has sexual relations with another person, that their souls are intertwined and that that's an unbreakable bond. So how could I, in good conscience, knowing that I had made a bond like that with this woman, break it at 19 years old? Can you start to see how maybe I was feeling pretty stuck here? Is this ringing true for any of you? And, you know, knowing what I know now, <laughs> I do not regret getting married to my wife. She's amazing. I, and we've built an amazing life together. We have had difficulties that came along with being married so young. And I do at times wish that I had a more progressive Christian voice in my life just telling me kind of the common sense advice that I'm sure many of you are thinking right now. You know, like, hey, man, you got a lot of time. Hey, man, you don't need to get married at 19. That's kind of crazy. There are entire seasons of life that you need to experience that you're not going to get if you get married and start a family too early, which, by the way, is exactly what happened by some miracle because we were trying to keep it from happening, it still happened. And so, two weeks after I'm legally able to drink, after my 21st birthday, my first son is born, Asher. Looking back, this is really a bright spot in the story. Um, you know, it wasn't easy, but the love that I found on tap inside myself that I had no idea, the reservoirs of powerful love. I mean, I knew I loved my wife. I knew I loved my friends. But this this kid, there was nothing I would not do for him. It was a fierce love, you know. Um, and I, I don't want to cast a negative light onto the reality of a baby in anyone's life. That's why I'm talking about it this way. Because now I look back and see it as such a positive thing. But I, that's not the message that I was getting from the people around me. 
the advice I was getting from the church leadership around me started to take on a really different tone. You've made a mess of your life. You are never going to be able to provide for a family on a musician's salary. You're going to have to totally redefine your identity. And the irony that I now see after the fact is that the very doctrine, the purity culture idea that led me and forced me and pushed me to feel like I had to get married is the very thing that precipitated this new circumstance in my life. And now the tone of the advice is shifting from that sort of puritanical Christian thing to the American capitalist, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get yourself out of the mess that you've gotten into sort of message. And I saw the disharmony in, it in, the, in the moment, and man, it, that's when I first started to actually feel anger toward the church. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. You know, I don't think it was all bum advice, honestly, um, but in the context I was in, I was having a very hard time separating like Christian doctrine and that rubric of life from like real practical life stuff. Um, I think I had kind of a naive notion that the church was going to take care of me because I was taking care of the church and that that was a family atmosphere and that it, everything was going to be okay and they were going to help me because I was doing the right thing by marrying this girl instead of continuing to live in sin, quote unquote. Um, and that was definitely not the message I was now getting. So just a recap of the messages heard, received through life. Saved at 10 years old, understanding myself to be filthy rags. Taught that my sexuality was something that was dangerous and to be ashamed of and to to try to keep it under a lid as long as I could until I could finally get married because that was the promised land. And then, you know, those are more universal Christian things that we, we've all heard before if we've come from the church. But the more personal messages I was getting of you are not going to be able to survive and make a life for your family if you keep doing what your heart is telling you to do, which is to make music and to make art. And, and, and the, the way that I felt like my checking account and my, the, the world around me was validating that message, it, it just all led to an effect where I began to doubt my own validity as a human being. Uh, I began to really wonder if it was even really worth it for me to stick around. And times got really tough. Uh, you know, we had our second child because what was the point of waiting? We'd already started our family. Abram was born, another little joy spot in my life. But I continued to uh, just really struggle, to have a really hard time making ends meet. I was doing better with the church. I was, I was getting a little bit of a promotion of sorts, but still, you know, not making enough to really keep us comfortable at all. <laughs> During this time, I did begin to really delve into study. Um, I didn't go to school, but I started to really look into some of the more progressive and alternative Christian voices. Rob Bell was a huge one for me. Shane Claiborne, another huge one for me, um, where they just began to reframe the message, and I really resonated with it a lot. There was even an episode where... My wife and I came out in defense of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, and there was disciplinary action taken on us for that because it didn't fall into the 
theological sort of agreements of the church. Um, those were things that the staff members had to uphold to work there. This all created just a, an incredible amount of tension in me, and it became obvious that I needed to go. I didn't have anything else lined up. I didn't have a resume. I just had my own charm, I guess, to work with. And um, so I left. I left uh, to quote the Old Testament as Abraham without knowing. Uh, that was my defense, my um, spiritually derived, biblically derived defense for what I was doing. And I, I really, truly felt like what I was doing was right, but it did not lead to sunshine and roses at all. It led to me short-selling a house as I struggled to find work. It led to me having to live with my mother-in-law and being houseless. It led to deep depression. Deep depression. And um, I began to really also feel like I was betraying myself and my own values because I continued to try to serve in ministry, even though I had left the church and was just kind of ping-ponging around these other mega churches that were just doing the same kind of thing. Um, but I needed to feed my family. So I was taking money to, to play guitar at places. Um, I took a job at a smaller church as their worship director and was there for a few years, um, all the while just having some real contradictions inside myself about what it means to actually live in... Christ consciousness, and not even knowing it at the time, but realizing then through that process that I was walking down the mystical Christian path, that I was walking down a path that taught God as universally good, that all shall be saved, that all the world's religions are speaking God's voice, that God's voice is not contained to only speak through a Bible and through a Christian church, that he can speak anywhere, that she can speak anywhere, that it can speak anywhere, and that it loves us, and that we have so much in common, so many things we can learn from one another, so much compatibility between great historic religions and great historic philosophies and ways of thinking. During this time of uh, development, beginning to kind of find out what I was good at, starting to pick up some work in other areas, my daughter, my first daughter was born Indy. Um, and if you've never had a baby girl, then as a father, uh, you, there's just a whole other side of your heart that opens up. It's, it's mind-blowing. Anyway, soon after she was born, I got a break. I finally got a break. I was doing okay, but um, my dad came along and had a dream of starting a company and didn't really have the technology acumen to get the business on the web and to, to slick up those e-commerce funnels and all that fancy schmancy marketing talk. And I had kind of developed that skill set. So we started a company together and um, it's still doing great to this day. But after having our fourth kid, Ivy, our final little baby girl, and once again, awakening to new ocean depths of love in myself, um, I was able to finally start developing a little bit more as just an independent human being, as somebody that wasn't tied down to the institution nearly as strongly, that didn't need it for sustenance, um, that, that had work outside the church. And 
began to evolve. We were able to buy a house and we lived there for years. Um, Ivy was able to spend her early years there. And um, it, we just kind of had a more standard American life. Fast forward another five years or so, our idealisms and our uh, sort of ways of thinking, my wife and I, in the ways that we dream, led us out to a homestead in the middle of the country back close to where I was born after having moved incrementally in closer and closer to Atlanta, because that's what you're supposed to do if you're successful. We turned around and uh, just gave that all up to pursue a life of homesteading out um, in the country. If we bought a farmhouse. We were able to, to get a little bit more square footage and spread out a bit. As a family of six, we'd been living in a little cracker box so that we could afford it closer into metro Atlanta. Um, but this house in the country afforded us new space and gave us land. It gave us uh, a whole new understanding of nature. Uh, we, we really leaned in. We've done work out at that homestead. We cut down trees and started to make our own firewood. We raised chickens and turkeys and ducks and bred them on our own with incubators. We raised pigs and had them processed and have freezers full of our own pasture-raised organic meat. Um, we know what it takes to care for the soil, to care for the animals, to listen to the signs of nature, to, to go outside and feel the sunshine and hear the breeze and know what the weather's going to do just based on that connection to the earth. That is the different dimension of spirituality that was missing from our lives, and we found it um, through, through homesteading. And it was in the middle of this, this phase of life that we found our kind of most recent, and it feels final, but it's at least our most recent phase of our spirituality, which is that fully opened, fully realized uh, universal Christian mysticism, where we, we know that God is speaking through nature. We know that John the baptizer was uh, the voice speaking in the wilderness. He was the one going to the Spirit directly in the desert. We know that when Christ withdrew to nature, he did so for a reason, because that's where he communed directly with his Father. That's where he could hear the voice most clearly. Uh, and, and it's that reconnection to the natural world and to the wild spirit of God active in his and her own creation that we're enlivened and awakened to a brand new season. But the most liberating revelation I've had by far has been the realization that I need to turn around and forgive. If I continue to hang on to resentment and hurt over what was done to me and over the conditioning that I received, I'm the one that's going to continue to suffer and that I need to let go of these things and let these people free in my own mind and heart. And that's the spirit in which I want to bring the Cathedral Project to you. So this is how we're going to close. What I want to do is I want to turn around and I want you to do this with me in your mind's eye. Let's call this a loving kindness meditation, because that is in essence what it is. We could also call it the meditation of forgiveness. What I want you to do is I want you to start by just breathing in and breathing out, deeply through your nose and out through your mouth. And just be present with your breath. As you breathe in and breathe out, Try to turn your awareness toward your soul. Try to think 
of yourself as the awareness behind the thoughts, behind the ego, behind all of it, as the observer, as you breathe in and breathe out. Now, I want you to envision the first moment that you felt shame or that you felt like you weren't enough. Is there a person tied to that? Or is it an ideology? Is it something you read? What is it? Maybe you can't locate it right now. Maybe it's just a feeling from a certain phase of your life. And that's okay. Now, I want you to envision Christ standing beside you in that moment that you felt that. I'm not going to tell you what Christ would say, but I want you to sit with that thought for a second and think about what Christ would say. What is Christ saying in you? Maybe you have never believed before that you can trust what Christ is saying in you. But that is a trap. That is a mechanism for power and control to keep you away from Christ inside yourself, available as water to you. Now I want you to get more personal why don't we envision an actual person, someone who really did leave a mark on us? In this context, let's make it someone at a church or someone from our faith history. Life is hard, right? And we have difficulties, every one of us, even those that hurt us. If you can, wish that person happiness and health and freedom from suffering. Breathe in and breathe out. Now, why don't we envision a group of people? This would be maybe a group experience of shame or pain or uh, maybe being outcast or made to feel alienated or made to feel like you were the crazy one. Can you see their faces? Do you think that you can look at them and say, I wish you happiness. I wish you freedom from suffering. I wish you health. Breathe in and breathe out. Now, and this might be the hardest one, but it's one that I've had to work through recently. Can you envision 
the human race? Can you envision all of the wicked inventions and methods of control and psychological tricks that have been pulled by so many people in power and by so many institutions. Can you envelop all that in your thinking? Do you think it's possible in your quiet place, identifying with your pure awareness, the soul that is directly connected to God, do you think that you can forgive all of that? Because that's what Christ does, and that's what Christ does in our hearts. Can you wish to the entire human race, the good and the bad, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you be free from suffering? It's a big call. Breathe in and breathe out. And this is our final step. Can you imagine yourself serving those people, whether good or bad? Can you imagine yourself putting the towel over your arm as Christ and loving others unconditionally that way? It might take time, but it's a worthwhile thing to picture ourselves doing and being able to do. May we all have the mind of Christ and be enlightened and illuminated by that light. Amen. Thank you for listening to this first episode of The Ground Podcast from The Cathedral Project. I'm William Collier. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and you can find us at cathedralproject.com.